Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network. This week's guests are Vito Brown, Wisconsin Basketball, Mike Hall of Big Ten Network, and Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network's Manager of Research. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, enthusiasm. All right, first up, we got Vito Brown from Wisconsin basketball, currently playing overseas. Love talking to overseas basketball players about their uh, journey and their professional careers. Always a lot of good stories come out from those experiences. And Vito is an awesome personality and a uh, really multi-talented guy on the basketball court. Uh, gets into music, charity, a lot of good stuff. You'll hear it in the interview, and I'll stop talking so we can get to it. It is Take 10 Podcast interview with Vito Brown. It starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by Vito Brown. Played at Wisconsin from 2013 to 2017. Now continuing his basketball career overseas. France, I believe. So you can follow him on Twitter at SenseiSwad33 to keep up with him. Love that Twitter name, by the way. Yeah, Vito, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Like you said, uh, out here in France, we're... On lockdown right now, but honestly, you walk outside, it doesn't feel like lockdown. So I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but everything's good over here. Yeah, it's interesting because I always talk to professional basketball players, a lot of overseas guys on the podcast, a lot of former Big Ten guys, and it's already weird enough, right? Overseas right. with all the variables that go into playing European basketball, and then the whole COVID thing has just made it even stranger. So just to set the stage, could you kind of take our audience through what you've been up to since leaving Wisconsin. How did you get to France? How, what were the stops in between? And then what's been the kind of added uh, trickiness with all of the uncertainty? It's been, it's been a long, perilous journey. <laughs> um, man, I, uh, after I left Wisconsin, I, you know, went home was, you know, I had, I ended up getting two uh, pre-draft workouts, one with the, the Milwaukee Bucks and then one with uh, Sacramento Kings. And so both of those were super last second. Like most guys, they know ahead of time, like, you know, I got this workout scheduled for this day. Me, it was literally like the first one that I got, I was in Cleveland because my dad worked in Cleveland at the time. I'm just at the library, just chilling while he's at work. And I get a call from my agent. Uh, yeah, they want to fly you out today for the workout this weekend. I'm like, what? <laughs> so literally I, I was like that. And I had just worked out earlier. So I didn't even have any clothes or anything. And uh, I called my dad. I was like, just got to work out with the Bucks. Like, I need you to take me to the airport <laughs> in like two hours or something. And so that ended up going well. And then same thing with the Sacramento one. It was like a day before when I found out. But anyway, those went well. And so I ended up getting invited to the uh, the Bucks G League training camp, the uh, the Herd, Wisconsin Herd. So that was their first year in the, uh, in the G League. So it was a new team all new players, obviously. And, uh, you know, training camp was good. I thought, I thought I was doing well. Very last day, they were like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta let you go. We need more shooters. You know, we already got a lot of fours and fives in my mind. I'm like, I am a shooter. <laughs> like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure who you're talking to, but, uh, you know, so it, it was, it was weird, but they ended up cutting me. And then um, like six days later, I'm at home 
six days later, something happened, somebody else got let go and they called me right back out. So again, I just hop right on a plane, fly to Reno, uh, Nevada. And they're like, you get three games to kind of prove yourself. And if you, you're still here after three games, then you're on the team. So ended up doing well those three games, stayed there five games, and then I was cut again. So I'm like, dang, this, all this happened in a span of three weeks. So I'm like, man, this is this is how the G League is. It's it's really that cutthroat. But then I ended up getting picked up two days later by the um, uh, Agua Caliente, which was the uh, Clippers G League team in California. So traded in my uh, winter coats for, you know, flip-flops and shorts and was out there for two months, did well, ended up getting traded to Maine for the last two months of the season. So in my first year in the G League, I played for three teams in five months um all over the place and then the, the next year i was with maine the whole time and then this past year i was with the uh erie bayhawks uh the, the pelicans unique team gotcha now you're overseas in france like you said i can see it's dark out we're recording this around right. midday in the in the states mm-hmm. um so how did the opportunity come about to play in france were any other opportunities sidetracked because of the pandemic i know you know even in, when i was talking to guys and March and April, people were coming home early because the world shut down. So it sounds like things are opening back up and people are are taking that opportunity now overseas because the G League is kind of on hold right now. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm kind of thankful for COVID. Like at first it was like, dang, it, was, it killed all my opportunities. Like uh, I was having the best career, uh, the best uh, season of my career. Um, I was pretty much guaranteed to be in summer league for the first time uh, this that summer. And so it was just like, man, you know, mini camps and stuff, all that got canceled. So I was like, what do I do now? And uh, I, I switched agents probably a week and a half before everything went down. So it was just like, man, the timing was crazy. But I ended up, I think in uh, May, you know, while I was at home, I, I ended up getting this offer from France, which I later found out was due to COVID because they were like, yeah, normally we don't even really pay close attention to the G League, but because of everything going on, like we were actually looking at one of your teammates and then we saw you and you're like, dang, you might actually fit better than than he. So, it, you know, everything kind of was like a perfect storm in that way. But um, this was like the first overseas offer that I had this year. And then I got one from Italy, but, you know, I weighed the pros and cons and, and this team felt like the right move. And so, you know, I'm very, I'm very grateful that I'm actually out here and uh, and that I have a job. Like you said, a lot of guys, um, a lot of people that I know, were looking forward to like going to the G League this year. They're like, yeah, man, I, I think I'm gonna give it a try. And you know, every every time I talk to my agent, I hear a different different time start. You know, like first they were saying it might not start until January, and that was what really pushed me to sign for overseas because I was like. I love my family. I can't be home from March till January, man. Like that's too long. That's too long. Especially in a small city like Bowling Green, there's not a whole lot of people to play against and keep getting better. So that was probably the main thing that pushed me to, to sign. But now, now that I signed, I'm, I'm fortunate because there's a lot of guys that want to come overseas now, but there's just not that many jobs. And you know what I'm saying? And then, like you said, the G League might not even happen at all. Right. And you hear the perils of doing podcasts from home. I think I got someone dropping off Amazon Go or something like that on my doorstep. I'm hearing doorbells in the background and everything. Uh, you know, first world pros over here. But, uh, you know, at, uh, overseas, I, I know we talked a little bit before and you kind of laid out uh, some of the challenges, especially, you know, that are 
heightened by COVID mm-hmm. with bus rides and and positive tests and games mm-hmm. getting either scrapped or or you know just having these wild added variables at the last second. So what are some of the mm-hmm. interesting things you've seen since getting over to France and getting on the court a little bit? Yeah, um, like you said, I mean, I'm sure it would have been interesting without the COVID, but it, I mean, since it's here, it's definitely more, uh, like you said, I mean, I've been on two road games so far, and they were both eight-hour bus rides, <laughs> which is kind of unheard of and honestly sickening, <laughs> and they're both at the same place because the first game, we, we traveled this whole eight hours. We get there, everybody's ready to go. We're warming up on the court. It's 50 minutes on the clock. And then all of a sudden we start seeing people talking around mid court and that's never a good sign when the people in the suits are talking and we're like, what's going on? Turns out uh, the way the protocol works is you get tested like every Monday pretty much. And this game was on like uh, a Wednesday or something. It was somewhere like their last test um, was supposed to be valid for this game, but they decided to test again without saying anything. And so once they did, they, they discovered they had like six positive guys and we're like, wow. So literally they, they called the game off immediately and, and postponed it. And so we literally hopped right back on the bus. Couldn't even get the food that we had ordered. You know, we had to stop at a gas station and just pick up a bunch of snacks. So it was like, man, what are we doing? So then we, we, we finally played that game that was rescheduled. But like I said, we had to go all the way back. Uh, so that, that's just one thing. Um, Another thing that if you're not used to overseas, the the hotel rooms, the beds. Have you ever been overseas? I have, and the beds oh. are not <laughs> for a normal, you know, five ten guy like myself. Right. I've been with my dad. My dad is uh, about your height. I think he's six yeah. eight. Yeah. Um, and he struggles with some of the beds, the elevators, all that stuff. Man, nobody warned me. You know, I, I made sure that I hit up all my guys before I even signed. I'm like, what do I need to expect? What do I need to be ready for? Not one of them said anything about the beds. And they're like, I, I ended up talking to them after the fact, and they're like, yeah, bro, I got so used to it. I just, I forgot to mention it, but yeah, all their beds are small. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I'm literally right next to my roommate. <laughs> but, Having you in the fetal position the whole time, you know, just hunched fetal. up, trying to <laughs> fit on that thing. <laughs> exactly. So, um, what else, man? It's, uh, I mean, this whole the whole city is obviously different than what I'm used to. It's, it's not a huge city, uh, Le Mans, France, but it's, uh, I mean, they got 150,000, so it's, it's bigger than where I'm from, but it still has got that kind of small city feel, um, a little crowded at times. And it's like, it's the most roundabouts I've ever seen <laughs> driving. Like I've literally never seen like every, I would say every two to three blocks, you'll find another roundabout. And it's just like, what is this? Like at first I, I hated it. Cause I'm like, dang, I feel like I'm about to get hit every time I go out. But now that I'm kind of used to it, I'm like, well, at times it is a little faster. You just got to make sure you take the right exit. Otherwise it's going to be a while until you can make another U-turn. <laughs> that is funny. Cause I think the last time I was in a city that had a lot of roundabouts was like Appleton, Wisconsin or something. I went really? during the summer and I was like, there's a lot of roundabouts here. It seems yeah. pretty new. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, throws you off when you're trying to drive in those especially if you're not used to it um all right so last question on kind of the the pro basketball uh experience you've had what would you say has been more of a grind or been more not unsettling but just kind of 
you know, keeps you on your toes more? A, a G League grind just during normal times or uh, what you've experienced so far overseas uh, in pro basketball? Yeah, I mean, it's both because I feel like uh, here it feels like there's more security. Like you, you've signed your contract, you feel a little bit safer. Um, not to say that you can get cut because I've heard plenty of stories of especially Americans getting cut um, if they don't perform and stuff like that. But but knowing that I will perform, you know, I, that's never really been a uh, it's never really, you know, been real stressful for me. But in the G League, like like I said, when you start your career off getting cut twice in three weeks <laughs> from the same team, it's like you really find out quick that like, man, this loyalty, what's that? <laughs> Uh, and, and, that, and I was doing good too. It wasn't like I was just out there stinking it up. So the, the mental grind of the G League was was a little bit tougher in the beginning, but um, the physical grind here is next level because the G League, like we play, you know, three, maybe four games in a week in seven days. So it's like, you're not really practicing a whole lot. You know, you might get shots up here and there, but for the most part it's traveling games. Um, and then if you have four or five days off, then you'll practice and stuff like that. But here it's like, since we only play one game or maybe two a week, it's like, that's five to six days of practice, like in a row. Um, and so when you're not used to that, that it did take a little bit to get used to. And it's, and it's a different type of practice too. Like we went hard in G league practices kind of, but here it's, it's more development, more skill work, uh, We'll have like a morning session for an hour and a half or something with lifting and shots. And then we'll come in and do the team practice uh, in the afternoon. So it, it feels like a little bit more like college in that sense, um, in the sense of like they're actually trying to develop you. But with with the pro style mixed in. So I actually like it a little bit better because like I'm a hard worker. I think if you don't like working hard, you, you won't like overseas. <laughs> the G League is your route. But uh, if you do, then you definitely have plenty of opportunity to get better here. Yeah, no real athlete likes hearing when someone like like me starts talking about their, you know, peak of athleticism like in high school when I when I was a when I was a hooper playing AAU. So like I bring it up sometimes and I always afterwards I'm like, why are you even bringing that up? Like it's not relevant. <laughs> but I, I can can't imagine playing in a G League situation or any like pro mm -hmm. basketball situation where you can't get in a rhythm. Like you said, you were performing well, still get cut. Like I would get stressed out if I got pulled out of the game after missing a couple of shots. So like that that level of basketball is always just, is crazy to me. For sure. And it's funny you said AAU because that's how I describe it to people. I say G League is like professional AAU. Like you got to be ready. You can have a different team every time you step out on the court. Like, cause they'll send guys down, guys will get cut. Um, you know, guys will get called up. So now you're, you know, your main score is gone and it's like, what do you do? So I think that, you know, having to adjust on the fly is what you learn most with the G League and like, being prepared for every situation. Whereas over here, like, you know, the scouting reports are way more in depth. You you start, you know, preparing for a team three or four days out instead of, you know, the day before or two days. So it, it's a little bit different, um, but I'm learning more about like the mental side of basketball out here. You know, I'm learning more like, uh, you know, when this guy does this, where should I cut or when should I cut, you know, in the G League, it's like, just go hard and, and try to make something happen. You know what I mean? Uh, so it, it's definitely, I like them both, but I think this is a good mix of, of G League and college style. All right, I'm going to take it outside basketball a little bit. Um, you know, your name resurfaced in, 
U.S. media and, and like Midwest media, I remember back early in the pandemic because you right. and your family were making masks when there were uh, masks that were hard to come by, obviously, right. early on. So take me through it. I, uh, from what I remember and from looking back at some of the articles, your mom was making them, you got involved, promoted it on your social media, and it kind of took off from there. So how did it kind of start, and what was the reception you received from the public and, and people wanting to buy them? Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, that's that's the basis. Uh, she's always been a ridiculously creative mind. Um, too creative at times because she pulls all of us in and makes us do the hard lifting for her while she's, you know, just expressing herself. But it ended up being, you know, good this time. Uh, like you said, I didn't know how it was going to blow up. I really just put it out there to show uh, what she could do. And then once I started getting like a lot of requests uh, for masks and stuff, and then I, I showed my parents and they're like, well, we got to come up with a system. <laughs> you know, they both they both worked at the University of uh, Bowling Green State University. So, at you know, back in the day. So they're used to, you know, those processes and, and systems and making stuff be more efficient and all that. So we ended up doing that and it really became like a three man working crew, me, my mom and my dad. And it was like, we all had like seven jobs each, like my jobs, I probably had the most, honestly, uh, just cause I had the most energy and all that, but they would be like, all right, you know, you gotta get the orders. You gotta, you gotta enter them into Microsoft Excel. So I learned how to do that. Uh, then you gotta, you know, you gotta make the straps for the mask so that they can tie them up and stuff. Uh, then you got to cut out the mask so that you know, bring it to your mom so she could sew it up and all that. And then you got to, you know, put it, uh, put it in the package, take it to the post office. So it was like, man, I was doing a little bit of everything, but um, you know, people loved them. And, and I, we kind of prided ourselves on like delivering a quality product. So that's why we, we took, you know, we took a lot of time with it. And I think we actually, I mean, by now we've made over a thousand, but I know in the, in the summertime, it got to like, from April to July, it was probably 600. Um, and that was like kind of ridiculous, <laughs> you know, like we started getting a couple big orders, like, well, we need 20 for this uh, hospital or 20 for here. 20. So, but I mean, it ended up being a great time. We all, you know, kind of expanded our skills this summer. And then obviously, you know, we, we think we did a good service for the people too. Yeah, clearly you weren't you weren't just chilling during uh, everything that was going on this summer. That includes the unrest that followed, you know, into May and and really since um, with the you know inequality that we saw and and the tragedies we saw, especially in in Big Ten country, like you know, these were happening right in our backyards. Really, uh, you know, Kenosha, Minneapolis, obviously right down the road from some Big Ten campuses. Um, so I saw you dropped a song. Uh, yeah. earlier in the summer as well. You know, I remember on the BTN Journey show, you were featured for your musical talents as well. So I knew that was that was one of your uh, one of your skills, but dropped a song called uh, Fight for Your Rights that addressed, like I said, the struggle for, you know, equality in this country for people of color. Um, can you share what drove you to produce and, and sing on that track and, and drop that, I believe, back in August? Yeah, um, like you said, it was just such a, influx of negativity coming around like all at the same time and um you know i've always been with my music like you know there's there's too many there's plenty of people rapping about negative stuff left and right you know what i mean so i kind of although the topic isn't positive i think the way that we approached it was in a a more positive light obviously it was clean you know there was no cussing and stuff like that so but the way it came about i mean 
my brother makes beats. He's a producer. So uh, I had had that beat on my phone for like two years because I had been struggling to, to write something to it. I was like, man, this is one of my favorite beats. But I can't, I, you know, I can't come up with anything. And so then just one day I was just randomly in my room and I just started like mumbling when it came on and like I started writing down some words and they just start coming to me. It wasn't like I sat down, like I'm going to make a social justice song right now. It was just like literally those are the words that came to my mind and they just flew out my hand. And then uh, once I sent them to him, I mean, he was at the house, but I, I texted him like, bro, I might've just came up with something. And uh, he's like, all right, let me hear that. And then so once he did, he was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of nice. And it just so happened that my college teammate, Riley, who goes by West Dayton, he, um, he had just hit me up like two days before saying that we needed to make a song together. And so I was like, bro, I think I might've just came up with something. So I, I sent that through the drive to him, Google Drive. I was like, see if you can come up with a chorus in a, in a verse maybe. So he sent me something back like either that day or the next. And I was like, bro, you might have to hop on this. Like, I think we got something here. So that's how it kind of just evolved. And it was crazy because like, if you listen to the track, you would think we're all three right there doing it together. But the truth is we all did our own part separately. Like, even though me and my brother were in the same house, like he wasn't in there when I was recording my verse and I wasn't in there when he was recording his. But obviously in the end, you know, me, him and my dad, we worked on, you know, making it sound real good, but yeah, it, it was it was a it was a good journey, and I thought that it was a, it was a good message too. So, where can people find that if they want to check it out? I think I saw it on your Twitter account, but I'm sure it's uploaded other platforms, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, but all the the main um, the main streaming services: YouTube Music, uh, Fight for Your Rights. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, and my name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I know it didn't surprise me when I when I saw both of those efforts from you you know the masks and the music because your whole kind of team at wisconsin was pretty expressive uh yeah. on whatever the topic might be you know we really got to know your personalities back during that run like i said at the exactly. top you were there from 13 to 17 so you were there from you know, the final four teams to kind of that bridge the to golden the greg, age. <laughs> yeah the greg guard era the golden age of wisconsin hoops yeah. uh, oh they're not doing uh too bad now they you know big 10 defending champs right now uh, so when you look back, you know, at that whole run, well, obviously there's a ton of memories to choose from, but what really stands out from, like you said, that golden age of, of Wisconsin hoops, um, yeah. from all the way from, you know, kind of beginning of the final four runs to beating yeah. Xavier in the, the tournament. Well, like you said, I mean, I know you, you just touched on it briefly. I, I think we prided ourselves on being a team that was like extremely cultural. Like we had like so many different cultures in like, in the way what we brought to the team outside of basketball. And I think that made us closer on the court too. Cause like we, you know, a lot of teams like, you know, they play, but they don't spend that much time outside cause they're, you know, they just don't have that many you know similarities and commonalities and all that. But we, we found ways to express ourselves and, and to really spend time together. And it was like, you could just kind of feel it on the court. Like, you know, uh, that connection was, was real. And so, I mean, during those runs, man, it's tough. It's like you said, I mean, we made it to the Sweet 16 all four years. So it was like, kind of felt like a failure the last two. <laughs> that's that's what's, what's crazy, really. Um, I mean, you can't beat the Kentucky one. I mean, I hate to give the generic answer, but it was just the way that we lost the first one, the heartbreaker with the, with the last second shot. 
And then like literally in the locker room, like after everybody was done wiping away the tears, it was like, we're making it back here next year. Like we're, we're getting back here. And, uh, and for us to actually like set out to do something and then accomplish that goal. And then obviously we couldn't have known that they were going to match us up in the final four again. So it was just like the, the way the destiny worked out right there was amazing. And then obviously, I mean, I sang the, I sang the anthem before that game too. Um, and actually got in for about 40 seconds. So <laughs> I was like, man, this is, this might be what the best night of my life. Uh, you know, we won, we got back to the hotel and I'm telling you, like, I don't know if you saw the videos, but there was a thousand plus people in the lobby of this hotel. It was like, you couldn't hear anything. We're walking, everybody's just screaming and yelling. We're on the balcony, just, taking video and yelling and it was just like it felt like that should have been the championship you know it really did we didn't have the same energy going into duke afterward it felt like we already accomplished you know what we set out to do but it was amazing yeah i remember seeing those videos i also it reminded me i knew about your, your music but i forgot you did the anthems too that's yeah. insane I, that's like <laughs> gives me nightmares honestly because that song is so difficult to like remember so uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Pro props to you for getting up there and, and getting all those verses right, man. Like, <laughs> I can't even. Sometimes I like run through it in my head to think if I could do it myself, and yeah. I always get tripped up. So, well, yeah, I mean, we see so many people uh, because we've been doing it since high school. You know, me and my family. Uh, that's when we first started singing anthems. So, obviously, I mean, I know the words like the back of my hand. And so, when I see people get up there and they and they make those mistakes, I'm like, oh man, you got to prepare, like. People think you just go out there and sing just because you can sing. And I'm like, if y'all saw how much we practice, like this is this is the same as basketball for me. Like literally the night before, because I knew I wasn't going to play that much. So like I didn't need to sleep a whole lot. But I literally had the other three people because we just we all just met that, that day, the day before. And so we were sounding decent, but like not up to the quality that I thought we should sound in front of 70,000 live people. So I literally, I hit up my mom and dad because they were staying right next to the uh, arena in Indianapolis. And I was like, um, I'm going to bring the, these other three singers over. I need y'all to coach us through this. And so we actually met up at their house, practiced till probably like 11.30 p.m. And, and got it sounding good. <laughs> That's a great story. And yeah. it, it kind of reminded me of uh, – like two or three days ago when the Bulls announced that they had brought on uh, Maurice Cheeks, Mo Cheeks as their assistant. Oh, yeah. And he was the guy like in 2004 who helped the little girl out who forgot the word. He like kind of sang, got her back on track and the whole really? crowd kind of, yeah, was with her because she really lost it. She was not going to be able to finish the song. He yeah. comes out and I don't even think he knew the words completely, but he kind of got her back on track and the crowd carried her the rest of the way. Yeah. So that is your responsibility now. Like right. anywhere <laughs> If you see someone in distress, you got to hop in and save the anthem. Yeah, hey, I'm down, man. I'm down. <laughs> got to yeah. love it. Uh, mm. All right, a couple more Wisconsin questions, and we'll wrap up. Uh, I just got to ask, like, how does Wisconsin keep doing it? You know, like, obviously they peaked in those two final four years. Uh, maybe they'll get back sometime soon. But even though they lose some NBA talent, right, like they keep reloading, yeah. stay consistent. They move from head coach to – uh, you know, the, the heir apparent there in Greg Garden and, and, you know, even like last year, losing guys like, like Kobe King and then getting better after you lose your leading scorer right. last year. How does that happen in that culture there? Je ne sais pas, yo no sais. 
I don't know. No, <laughs> like literally, because you know, we, we uh, the class that I came in with, uh, the six of us, we we still talk like all the time in in our group chat. So literally, you know, as these seasons have been going on since we left, like we're always talking and wondering, like, man, how's the team doing this year? How they're gonna do? And we never can call it <laughs> like it's like they'll they'll come out looking not good you know and uh, we're like dang kind of I kind of thought this might happen and then they turn around and, and go on an eight game winning streak so it's like I don't know if that's just the the W on the front that kind of it's got the clutch gene in it where it just never gives up but or is that's just the type of the players that we recruit where they you know they've got that uh they got that relentlessness, you know, that like, you know, no matter how many times you knock us down, we're, we're still going to be in this fight. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's a credit to, to Coach Ryan and the culture that he's really established at Wisconsin, that winning culture, because, you know, obviously the streak got ruined after we left in the, the tournament. But after that, it's like they've been contenders, you know, they, they've actually, you know, shown up and showed out every year. So um, it just feels like, uh, no matter no matter what the coaching is doing or no matter the personnel we have, like we just find a way to fight and guys just kind of seem to step up in the right moments in the right at the right times and everybody just it just it just keeps rolling from there. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, kind of fits into the unassuming nature of, of that program sometimes. But I remember being at the Final Four uh, 2019 in Minneapolis. So I was at breakfast like downtown and mm-hmm. I looked over and this guy had been sitting next to me for the whole breakfast. Probably. I just had never noticed. And it was coach guard and, huh. and like just with his family or whoever. And, you know, not that I understand it's the final four, like coaches are everywhere and they, they slip in and out unassuming, but like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's so, if it's like coach Izzo or somebody like that, like people are gonna be coming up, probably asking for pictures and he's just, you know, normal guy unassuming yeah, and you know. he just keeps winning. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, uh, he uh, obviously had his woes when he first took over, but I mean, he's, I mean, his winning percentage is pretty dang good, I think. So, um, you know, he must be doing something right. And I think eventually, you know, people will notice him as soon as he walks in. So we'll see. All right. So last Wisconsin question. I have to go here just because it's kind of been in the news lately. And you just mentioned that you stay in touch with the guys in your class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nigel Hayes recently, you know, he's always been a polarizing guy. Very talented player, Wisconsin, obviously. I'm yeah. a big fan. Um, he made some headlines because uh, when Tyler Harrow was blown up in the NBA Finals, mm-hmm. uh, the story came out that, that he said he agreed with Harrow not going to Wisconsin, flipping to Kentucky, and advised him not to go to Wisconsin. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I assume you know Nigel very well if you're being there in the same class. Um, yeah. What do you think about those comments and and – I guess just give me a reaction. Like, I'm not going to try and pit you into a corner or anything. I'm just joking. Right, right. Curious. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I had heard things, uh, you know, after he first decommitted, but I didn't know for sure. And I kind of, I really didn't even straight up ask him um, just because like, I didn't, at the time I didn't realize, I knew how good he was because I like, I coached him at some uh, advanced camp thing, but I didn't, I didn't think about, I was more like, dang, that's a big loss for Wisconsin, you know, but I really wasn't thinking of, of him as much, but I think, you know, regardless how you felt about it, when it happened, I think after seeing how he played, you know, this past year, like 
you kind of got to be a really selfish slash just not caring person to to still talk bad about him after you know he's doing so well and the route he took so it's like you know if he knew that he wanted to be a professional basketball player and that is his goal and now he's out there accomplishing it amongst some big big names and against some big big names i mean you just can't hate on a kid like that you i have nothing but respect for him you know no matter what he did because obviously he made a good choice for himself and uh and that route has definitely paid off so i'm, I'm happy for him honestly yeah i don't think you'll find many badger fans out there disagreeing with that honestly like if you mm -hmm. asked him to be completely upfront at the end of the day um mm -hmm. he, he moved on wisconsin moved on uh and yeah, that's kind of it um mm -hmm. appreciate that answer but Vito, uh i do want to ask you one more question before we wrap mm -hmm. up Just outside of basketball we know you got the, the artistic skills we know you got the music mm -hmm. you got anything else we need to know about uh interest wise uh hobbies you know you got any shows podcasts you do a lot of sightseeing in europe like what is yeah if, there, if there's anything else what is something that keeps you busy and occupied off the court um i'm, I'm big into anime um before it became cool <laughs> like i know uh recently there's been a surge with it with TikTok being out and instagram it's like people are now like oh yeah anime sweet and then you got a lot of rappers making their album covers and you know making references but i, I started back in uh in high school um with naruto that was the first one that like once i found out that you could watch shows on on the computer online and stuff that was the first one that got me into it and then i put you know brevin Prinzel and, and riley during both of them I, I told them about Naruto and and they watched it like each one watched it faster than the next. <laughs> so like it's 720 episodes, 20 minutes a piece. So I did the math that equals 10 days. Um, it's crazy. So, <laughs> but I watched it in like three years because I, I caught up to the releases. So I had to wait once a week when they would come out. But by the time I told them about it, like the show was all the way out almost. So I told Riley about it. He took, four months maybe brevin like three <laughs> so it's just like these guys are fiends but uh but anyway so i i'm really into that and so i actually started a podcast with uh a couple of like-minded individuals that are um one is a, a linebacker with the broncos big in anime and then another one is uh the other two are like musicians and social media creators so our our common theme like for the podcast is sports music anime so each each time we talk, we're gonna we talk about uh, one of those three topics. So it's it's kind of got something for everybody. Yeah, I'm glad I asked that because I'm not kidding here. You got to get in touch with uh, our new BTN football digital guy, Kenny Bell. He played in Nebraska football. I don't know if you remember. He had the, uh, has the big afro. Very yeah. like recognizable, personal guy, personable guy. Mm -hmm. He's a big anime guy, I'm pretty sure. So really? I'm going to link you guys up after this because uh, he, he can maybe like hop on your podcast or something. The dude That'd is like we, we record uh, a lot of segments with him and he's got like the anime stuff in the background. So really? OK, I like I'm, that. I'm putting, you, I'm putting you guys in touch um, as he's sirens cool. go by my window and I get interrupted again. This is this is wild out here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Vito, that's all I got for you, man. I, I appreciate it. You give me some time, especially at a late hour uh, across the pond. Uh, best of luck to you get these games in. And sure. I'm sure we'll be in touch a lot more going forward. And 
appreciate you hopping on once again. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you, man. And I got to leave you with one thing. Go for it. I've never, I've never lost to the Illini all four years. That's I, all. <laughs> I was hesitant to bring it up. Like if anyone actually, I don't know, I don't know who listens to my show, but like if anyone actually listens, I bring up that I went to Illinois a lot. So I was like, I'm not going to yeah. do it this time. I'm not going to bring up the fact that, that Illinois swept Wisconsin. Uh, I guess it was only one game last year, but they finally got a win after, I think it was seven years. Yeah. I, think I know so. you never lost. I know. Right. Trust me. That, I think we went to the school around the same time yeah. and I got uh, absolutely zero dubs against Wisconsin when I was there. Yeah. What's funny is what reminded me is um, while we were on this podcast, Malcolm Hill was calling me. So, oh, are you are you close to Malcolm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we met at a camp back in high school, and we we've been pretty close ever since. So, oh, tell him I say hi. He's he's a great uh great dude. We were like neighbors throughout college. I did a lot of oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I used to like do uh, the newspaper and stuff. So when I was writing stories, he was the main focus of a lot of them. So I knew him. Yeah, well. know him. Okay. Well. Yeah, I let him know for sure. All right, much appreciated, Vito. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Alex. All right, thanks once again to Vito. Really cool to talk to another member of those great Wisconsin teams in the mid-teens, back-to-back Final Four years. Um, Guy who is continuing to to hoop and ball out overseas. And like I said, always enjoy talking to guys, getting their post-college career stories and Especially in this crazy time, there's bound to be some wild stuff going on uh, in the wild, wild <laughs> courts and, and uh, hardwood out in Europe. So thanks again to uh, to Vito. Definitely we won't be hearing, or definitely have not heard the last uh, from him. We'll definitely try and bring him back at some point, especially to update us on what's going on with him overseas. Um, moving on, though, we have a segment with Mike Hall, Big Ten Network. If you listened to previous episodes he was on about a year and a half or two years ago uh i've gotten most people on big 10 network on at this point but that is not why we had him on today um he already kind of told his story on the podcast and how he won the espn dream job competition way back when uh ended up working at espn for a while then came to big 10 network at its launch it's been with us since 07 and um if you watch big 10 network at all you, you know the voice you know the name really engaging uh, funny guy who keeps it light, but also very skilled broadcaster. And he is launching a new podcast with Big Ten Network. It actually just dropped on Tuesday of this week called On the Bench. So Mike will tell us all about On the Bench, uh, talk about how he's getting into the podcast game. We welcome him with open arms into the Big Ten Network, I guess, podcast network at this point. There's a Take Ten podcast. Now we got On the Bench, so we continue to grow um, from nothing a couple years ago to you know a small little operation with the take 10 podcast now we're, we're branching out so we'll have mike on to talk right now about on the bench it's mike hall and we'll get right to it very pleased to be rejoined on the take 10 podcast by mike hall follow him on twitter at btn mike hall it's been about two years, Mike. You're, you're back. Welcome back. You and haven't called. I haven't called. You haven't written. I haven't texted, but you are back because you have some big news. So first off, welcome back. And what brings you back to my show? Well, mostly I just want FaceTime. When you see that facial hair that Alex Rue has, you want to get up close to it. I don't blame you. 
Um, yeah, we are excited to announce we have a new podcast. We saw how great yours was doing and said, let's steal that thunder and let's try to take attention away from it. And eventually we want to destroy your podcast and make it go away. Listen, there's no name for it yet or anything, but the podcast <laughs> empire that's growing. Uh, I feel like there's a Big Ten Network podcast network that's, that's slowly burgeoning now. So, But that's if it's friendly. And I want to be clear, my tone is territorial. This is a rivalry. <laughs> We're six feet apart in the studio right now, but you know the tension yeah. is, is palpable. So, all right, Mike. Tell me about this podcast, how it came to be. Tell me the name. I don't want to spoil it, Happy but it's to. a very cool name and very cool graphic. I've seen kind of the, the preview. Yeah. What is going on with the podcast? And, and let's uh, fill all the listeners in so you can steal my audience. It is called On the Bench with my call. And uh, I joke about uh, you, but you were not only one of the reasons we did want to do this, but you were very helpful in, in getting it set up and doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and giving me some tips on logistics, et cetera. So uh, while I still do want to destroy you and take you down, I am very grateful for uh, all the help you gave. Um, so yeah, so you know, this is something I had an idea uh, a year ago. You know, uh, obviously podcasts are everywhere. But um, when we do television interviews, it's almost always four to five minutes. And it's with a guest that has to be topical and directly related to what's going on. And most of your questions have to be about either what just happened or what's about to happen. And all that is fine and good. And I've worked on that for whatever, 16 years or whatever. And I've got a good grasp on doing it. But as you know, when you interview someone for a half hour or 45 minutes, it's just different. It's a different style. It's a different way you approach it. And so partly I wanted to challenge myself to do something that was different. But partly, you know, when you when you do these four or five minute interviews on TV, they're for the most part, I try to make them as light as possible. But you're kind of talking about either timely or serious stuff. When you see a coach four hours before a game, if you're doing play by play or something, if you have a drink or a dinner with them, when you see a player away from the arena and you get to talk to them, like A, obviously they're regular people, but B, like there's some great stories that there's just no home for on a Big Ten Live or something because we just don't have the time for it. You know, you'd want to hear Tom Izzo tell some Judd Heathcote stories, but unless Judd Heathcote is being elected into some other Hall of Fame or something, there's not that avenue to do it. Mike Loxley and why he's known for being a great griller or or how he's obsessed with go-go music. Like, you know, those right. are things that on a Monday, you can't really talk to him about it in five minutes because you got to talk to him about the game that just happened. And I felt like this was an opportunity to those cool things that I've been able to, to learn uh, from being around these people in a different setting, try to bring that to the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I kind of wanted to do it. Not because I just wanted to fill time and, you know, fill my week, but like you get to know people, you meet people, you meet connections. And I've made friends from doing the show. Uh, I should have pointed this out at the top, but this is the first real legitimate podcast we've done in this studio. Like we got the camera here, wave to the people at home on YouTube. Pretty cool. You know, I feel like it's fitting that we're launching your podcast and sitting right here in kind of the, the, the rebirth of our, uh, our digital studio, you know, as we return from from COVID, no less. So. Yeah, and and again, you deserve a lot of credit, Jordan. Everybody who worked to make this thing happen. It is a cool, niche thing that you guys have dug out, and it's 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 good to be a part of. Yeah, shout out to Jordan Josellis at home watching. You know, he helped set this up. Uh, I was gonna say our home is your home now. So if you're in here interviewing oh. guests, whenever people start flowing through here again normally, right? Make yourself at home in here. Well, that's nice to hear, and that is sort of. 
I think obviously the goal is for us to be able to use this as a, a platform for the podcast because we want the podcast to be when most people listen to it. You're at the gym, you're working out, you're driving in your car, you're taking a baby on a walk, whatever it is. But there is the video aspect of it. So there will be clips we'll be able to put online. We'll be able to watch it on YouTube. But also the nice thing about the world that we're in, and this is one of the things you and I talked about, was that with COVID, like you can do these from home and you can you can get PJ Fleck when he's, he'll just turn around in his office and flip up his laptop and you can talk to him and I can do these in all the restrictions we have, I can still do these and we can still create them even if it's not a really nice fancy setup like this. I was gonna ask you about the biggest challenges you face trying to get this off the ground because I remember you came to me throughout the process, kind of asked you know for some pointers, some tips about how to get it launched. And if you remember, like my advice changed a lot over the, over the time period because in that uh, time frame the way we conduct podcasts totally changed. At first I was like, you know, there's not really one way. It's kind of right. difficult. It's kind of complicated. I was surprised launching it three years ago that it was actually not like one uniform way to launch a podcast. That some people run certain audio platforms. Some people use Skype. Some people, you know, just kind of winged it with their, their blue Yeti microphone. That's what we did at first. And then now Zoom comes along and it's kind of the magic bullet. And I'm sure it made your process a lot easier, you know, getting it off the ground when you did. Not only easier on me, because one of the things, most of what we talked about was like just the logistics. I just, I don't know the technical side of doing a podcast. So that was very helpful. So it's, it's easier on me when it's just like, oh, create this link by pushing this button and email to this person. And then it's, I'm good to go. But it's also like we talked about, you can get a, a former player or a head coach or whatever to literally just flip up or turn on their iPad, you like do whatever is so convenient. You can do it on their phone and they can do it wherever they are. So I feel like it's a lot easier to get guests that you want. I mean, we did, we did one. The only time I've had some troubles with a guest trying to do it is we had Gene Katie on the legendary Purdue basketball coach. And of course he worked here for a few years. So I've been lucky enough to consider him a friend, but like, He's the only man I think who didn't quite grasp doing Zoom. Right. Everybody else in America has been so used to it over the last seven months that it's kind of it's just so uniformly understood that it makes connections in this type of environment much easier. It is crazy to me that we got to 2020 and there was still no like number one a way to do podcasts. And then you know one silver lining, like we said, is everybody gets used to Zoom and it just makes everyone so much more available. I found people were much more willing to not only because they had so much more time on their hands sitting at home, but much more willing to just give me some time right. during the spring and summer. You know what's weird about it too? Doing this, holding up a phone to your ear for 40 minutes is a little annoying. That's hard, yeah. And doing this, flipping up a computer and just sitting and staring at a person is not annoying. I don't know what it is, but it's actually easier, I think, than getting someone on the phone. So you've name dropped a few guests so far. Um, so let, let's hear what you can reveal, right? So. Who's your first guest? When does it drop? Because I think I'm going to drop this episode the day after yours drops. Wow. So that'll keep it recent. People can go back and listen. Sure. Um, fill me in on, on who you can reveal and some dates and, and what to look out for. Totally. So I will clarify one thing. So this particular podcast on the bench is not going to be topical. These are interviews that are meant to be as relevant in November as they would be in February, as they would be in July. They're stories and moments about people's lives so it will not be about the, the game that just happened or is about to or anything like that. And I say that because our first guest was in July. We taped with PJ Fleck. 
And PJ was this great interview. He's obviously a fascinating guy as the Minnesota football coach. He's been through these in, in, incredible lows, losing a son uh, early on in life and how he built that into a mantra of row the boat, which is something we dive into. Um, we talk about his success and the way he grew. We talked about, you know, that we, we've heard him talk about elite, right? That's the word he says. He explains the whole origins of that and why it actually literally started because he started watching Top Gun as a kid and loved it. And that grew him into a love of the military, which grew him into the word of the elite, which yada, 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 all the way on down. Um, so PJ was great. We could have done a handful of people for our first guests, but we just thought his interview was good. It was so funny. We talked the other day about like, well, they've obviously struggled to open the season. So does it put a damper on putting him as our first guest? We we're like, no, the interview's so good that, I mean, we're going to air it at some point. We just think people would want to hear him tell these stories um, and hear the back and forth. Like he was a legit basketball player. Like he almost was going to play for Bo Ryan at Wisconsin. Like he was a real talent in basketball. And then he ended up going football and gets briefly in the NFL and all that. Uh, Tom Izzo is obviously a big name. We got him on. Uh, he was great. Some of his stories and, and the jokes he tells about Judd Heathcote and, uh, and how much longer he's going to coach and, and things like oh, He tells this incredible story about Draymond Green where basically uh, he would sometimes break clipboards on purpose to try to let his guys know how ticked he was. He'd smash it over his knee. And then the staff changed from a like a, a wood clipboard to a plexiglass. And Tom didn't know it. And so in a huddle one time, he was ticked off at Draymond. And he was just trying again and again to break it. And he couldn't break it. And he didn't know why. And Draymond just like busted up laughing at him in the middle of a huddle. Those stories are great. Fran McCaffrey, the Iowa head coach, they're going to be a top five team in the country this year probably. You know, he talks about how once Julia Roberts uh, was involved in him recruiting uh, someone, and despite the fact he didn't get that recruit, and that recruit ended up being how, Fran? How? unbelievable, right? We talked about that. He ended up going to a different uh, team in the Big Ten. We talked about that. Uh, there's so much. We, we will obviously focus a ton on men's basketball and football, but we also have some of the other sports. We had um, Dana Redkey's maybe the best female college athlete right now. She's a Wisconsin volleyball star. We talked with her. Red Berenson, the hockey legend, talks about, among other things, like he scored six NHL goals in one game once. Only one player in the history of pro hockey's ever done more than that. How he still plays hockey in his 80s in actual competitions right now. Um, I could keep going on. Mike Loxley of, of Maryland. Um, we have Sandy Barber, the Penn State athletic director. Like, if you ever, I always think of athletic directors as like George Costanza with the general manager of the Yankees. Like, we all think we could do it. And I always wanted to really sit down with an AD and talk about, you know, like, have you thought about doing two whiteout games a year? Wouldn't that be great? And like her answer to that was really interesting. Right. And, you know, the, she tells me the one sporting event that happened in her time that made her cry in the middle of it. She was so happy. Um, it, there's a lot of really interesting people from different backgrounds. We're also going to do something different. Uh, I'm going to have on announcers like Joel Klatt was on. I think Joel Klatt is fascinating. Six years ago, none of us knew who he was. And now he's one of the premier voices in college football. And like, I don't know how many people knew he was an investment banker a few years ago, that he was a walk-on at Colorado before he broke 44 records at the school, that he was a minor league baseball player, that his handicap is plus two in golf. Like he's an amazing success story. Uh, we're gonna have entertainers on, there's gonna be comedians who are Big Ten fans on, actors. Like there's so many people who are tangentially related to the Big Ten 
but are interesting to Big Ten fans, and that's that's who we're going after. Let's pick up all those names you just dropped on. on a lot. Florida. No, lot. that'll be that'll be great. Uh, Joel Clatt was one of my first guests. He was he was awesome. Um, so I call the podcast kind of my my side hustle, right? Like at, at Big Ten Network. Um, you still have a job to do, right? Wow. Yeah, you still have a job. Till the podcast on, comes out on and TV. I'm yeah, and, well, and all the ad revenue starts coming <laughs> in. You just live off that. But um, you still have a job. Obviously, we're back in the studio. Yep. So tell me about what the process was like getting back into here, obviously, uh, getting back in the swing of working after doing interviews at home. What's the, the recovery been like as far as just getting back into the groove? It's been an adjustment. Um, you know, I think we've, we've talked maybe in the past uh, about how I thought I might have had it at the Big Ten Tournament. Right, right. Because uh, the Nebraska head basketball coach, Fred Hoiberg, was coughing and had to leave the game. And I did multiple interviews with him. And obviously, he ended up not getting it. He was fine. But, like, that was kind of a scare. So we as a network sort of shut down for a week or two. And then we slowly started doing a lot of Internet videos in the spring. And then we started taping these interviews with people, putting them into a show. We package it once a week. Then it became twice a week. Then it became, you know, by July, we were having one crew a week come into the studio. And then it became, could we have two uh, hosts in? And then it became, could we do three shows a week? So we've been taking small steps forward bit by bit. We're at the point now where we're doing shows, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all day, Saturday. It is different when you you walk around the studio. There's plexiglass. There's one-way hallways you have to go through. You have to fill out something on it on your phone as an app about your temperature. You get a temperature check when you walk in. You have to wear masks at all times around here. But some of the logistics are different. So normally, if we're like on a Friday night, so the season opened with Wisconsin, Illinois, right? It was on our air. Normally, we go to the green room, myself, Joshua Perry, Glenn Mason, Jay Lehman, we're all sitting in there watching together and like talking about what do we think? Are there trends? What are the stories we want to talk about on the postgame show or at halftime? We had to be separated. Because there's only the green room's kind of small, and so you can't have the green room's not even usable right now. So we're trying to spread out in the studio and still be able to communicate. Um, Glenn Mason can't can't be here. They're trying to not fly people, so he's joining us via Zoom from his home in Minneapolis. Um, so a lot of those things are different, and and even the way you've probably noticed on air, they're doing a lot of four shots where we can only have one other person with me at the desk. Mm-hmm. So that creates an, a situation where we have two people in different places. So we'll, we're doing that like news channel, like look ahead thing. And that's just different from what we do. We normally have a more laid back conversational flow, but that's just part of the adjustment. And I think as long as we're putting safety first, which we have been, I think that's fine. And I think the audience is understanding that shows might look and feel a little different and it's our job to adjust and try to make the content of what we're saying feel as close to similar uh, to normal as possible. All right, Mike, I can't let you go without asking. I obviously keep up with everyone on social media, Big Ten Network, but uh, I, I noticed the White Sox corner of our office, which actually, it's like, it is uh, bigger than people would expect. Oh, yeah. Like People think the White Sox fan base isn't as big as the Cubs, and in a city, it seems pretty split. And at Big Ten Network, I think it's like maybe 65, 35 White Sox just from my experience and and the uh, chirping I hear around the halls. So I saw you. We're very happy about the White Sox season. Um, Congrats on a a cool breakout year. It was fun to follow them. I'm not a Sox hater. I'm a a fan. Um, Just I'm a a real Cubs fan. I'm just a, you know, 
not neutral observer. I want to see the Sox do well. So I'm a I fan of what they got going. I've never hated the Cubs. Right, I don't understand, I don't understand why you have to. I think that's stupid. If you can't appreciate Wrigley Field, then stop being a sports fan. Like, right. I grew up with Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson and Harry Carey. Like, if you can't appreciate that, like, I hope they lose every game to the White Sox 14 to nothing. But everything else, like, I was happy in 2016. It was great. Exactly. So my question, though, after the highs of this year, um, you know, you guys are on Twitter a lot. Mostly cheering for your team, but also complaining about the manager and Rick Renneria, and he is now gone. What are your thoughts on the Tony Larusa hire? Because as a, I'm just kind of enjoying it from afar because I thought, you know, I, I know what it's like to have a frustrating manager sometimes. I thought that the hate was a little over the top for Ricky. I thought they would get somebody better to replace him, and now it's one of those for a lot of White Sox fans. Uh, you know, grass is not always greener situation. So, what are your thoughts on on Tony Larusa being hired? I have a lot. So I'll try to summarize. <laughs> okay. Uh, my first thought was, I was with you. I kind of felt like Red's rear was getting too much heat. And the playoffs happened. And the decisions he made were baffling. The way he used the bullpen was, we were all like, everyone's going, what are you doing? It was time to move on. If you would have told me, hey, would you like to replace the manager who just bungled your playoffs with arguably one of the five greatest managers in the history of the game, uh, who's won three World Series titles at different multiple ball clubs, I'd probably be quite happy. But then, so you start, when they announce this to another Russo, you go, well, wait a minute. He's kind of a strict guy. His reputation is, you know, we, we button up and, and we do things by the book. And this White Sox team is different. And they're young and exciting and they wear chains and their buttons are loose and they celebrate and they bat flip. You don't want that joy to be ripped away. Baseball needs more joy. We have to have more of players celebrating and being individual. The more Tim Anderson in the world, the better, let alone in baseball. So that makes you worried. But then you go, okay, but he's probably grown in the nine years he's been away. He's probably going to be not as energized to tone that down. And then you go, well, he's got an older style. And baseball's moving to an analytics. And you go, yeah, but maybe baseball's gone too much to the analytics. And maybe if you're 80% analytics and 20% old school gut, maybe that's the more appropriate balance. And perhaps he's able to bring that to them. At the end of the day, I went back and forth. I've had a lot of talks with a lot of fans. I've talked to Jason Benetti, the White Sox play-by-play man, has become a really good friend. He and I have had some talks. Like, I get the concern. I get it. But at the end of the day, they're better now than they were at the, in, when the playoffs began. Like, they just are. It might not be the perfect GM to the manager pipeline of everybody's on the same page that you wanted. People are probably, rightfully so, pretty upset that it was pretty clear the owner just made this decision and, and stepped all over the GM, who's been very good this entire rebuild. But I just, I don't think he's going to poison the team. I think it'll probably be one of those things in the next three years, they'll probably win a World Series title. And the people who love him will go, he's part of the reason why. And the people who hate him will say, nope, it was entirely the players. Like I said, I, as an observer who, you know, appreciates good baseball and doesn't mind the White Sox doing well, I'm fascinated by the story. It's going to be a story, right? Sitting with popcorn. I, the one the one uh, argument, kind of argument I make, not to you, but to people who just use the Hall of Fame manager, uh, you know, reasoning is like why it justifies hiring him. Mike Dick is a Hall of Fame coach. Wouldn't want him coaching the Bears right now. But I know it's not that's not apples to apples at all because he's been out of the sport for so long. But he is old. Tony Lewis is also old. Um, right. And well, they don't necessarily not... mesh with the, the current athlete. But 
Yeah, I'm not gonna let you get away with that now. It's not. It's not a. He straight. won one Super Bowl. True. Thirty years ago, this guy won a World Series nine years ago. Don't remind me. That that oh. was a that was a rough one as also, a Cubs fan. Let's stop pretending seventy six is ninety six. Right. We're gonna go on the ageism here. I think anyone could do the job. It, it's just it's funny. Um, you know, more of the, the cultural divide as, as uh, you know, as far as those coaches go. Right. But it'll be fun to watch. And it will be honestly, I actually think it's better for baseball as a whole because a casual fan might not really care that much if AJ Hinch would have been. You know, chosen like maybe you do because he's going to be a storyline because of the cheating scandal and everything. You bring back this guy, it's instantly controversial. Like, I think that's good. The sport needs more storylines and more casual fans interested. And I think it's probably going to help. Looking forward to it, Mike. Looking forward to On the Bench. Thanks, bud. November 10th. That's right. It's a Tuesday. Every so Tuesday we'll release a new one for the rest of the season. All right. So keep it locked on Mike Hall's Twitter. I'm sure Big Ten Networks, social media will be posting this as well. We'll have a hand in that. Um, Mike, congrats. And thanks thanks for coming on. And thank you for all the help you had behind the scenes. I Absolutely. Happy to do it. All right. Thanks once again to Mike for joining me. We roll on with our triple header here on this podcast. A lot of good content coming at you today. You know, we've been off for a couple weeks, so had to make sure this episode was jam-packed. And we wrap up as we normally do in season on these episodes with Harold Shelton of Big Ten Network, the manager of research, the guy who was very skilled at taking those stats and numbers on the paper, translating it to everyday football talk on a podcast platform. The dude really should be getting... Know, paid on some sort of uh, real podcast number for stuff like this because he can talk football with the best of them and uh, like I said take those numbers off the page and onto the airwaves so lucky to have him do it always appreciate him doing it for us and we'll get to his football breakdown right now talk week four talk what we've seen early in the season first third of the season and uh, Harold breaks it down so we'll toss it over to H very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton ETN's manager of research Age, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks since we talked. Um, I try to, you know, when we have these gaps in our in our uh, discussion, try and fill up each other in on, on what we've learned since we last talked. So, first of all, welcome back. Second of all, if we're going from two weeks ago, what have we missed? What should uh, the listeners be catching up on? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's always good to be good to be on and good to be back. Um, you know, it's 2020, so it's just bizarre world, right? The fact that if you look at the Big Ten East, you've got Ohio State and Indiana tied at the top. You've got Maryland uh, in third place. And then you've got an, a Penn State team that's 0-3. Right above them is a Michigan team that's 1-2. and um, And then when you look in the West, you've got an undefeated Purdue. You've got an undefeated Northwestern. Nebraska still looking for his first win. Iowa and Minnesota, who were both 10-win teams a year ago, are both 1-2 and two now. So it's just kind of been an upside-down Big Ten outside of Ohio State. Yeah, and we missed it last week, so I do have to give you a bladed congratulations to Michigan State. I overlooked them completely in that game against Michigan. You know, we thought after week one that Michigan was pretty solid. They steamrolled Minnesota going into uh, that matchup with the Spartans. I didn't even give them the time of day in the show. So – I want to apologize in advance for that. Now, that might be their only moment in the sun this year, but as a MSU grad yourself, you'd probably take that, right, in a rebuilding year? 
Yeah, I mean, I had no expectations uh, entering the year. I thought three to four wins would uh, was probably their ceiling for the year. Uh, after they lost to Rutgers, I said it kind of went from no expectations to whatever is below that. <laughs> um, but seeing them beat Michigan on the road, um, that was kind of a big selling point, I think, for Mel Tucker and the way he wants to recruit. And so to actually have a data point there to point to and say, hey, you know, if you come here, we can do stuff like this. Uh, we'll play young guys early. You know, you can see where we need help and this is where we can bring you in. I think all of that certainly helps. It's going to be an up and down year for them all year. I think um, they still really, really struggle up front on both sides. As we saw, Iowa pushed them around uh, both sides of the line of scrimmage the other day. Um, turnovers obviously still an issue, but you know when you got a whole new scheme and you know new coordinators on both sides and a coach that took over in February with no spring, you know you're kind of gonna have to take these lumps this year, and you know so be it. But they at least got the win over Michigan. Yeah, we can get to Michigan in a little bit, but I think I touched on this last time. It's a pretty good year to be rebuilding. I feel like speaking of Rutgers, I mean. It's a year with no fans, so like you don't have to worry about dwindling attendance, really. You kind of get to have a blank canvas there. Um, like you said, it's just kind of a weird year. The Big Ten seems to be vulnerable in a lot of different pockets. So if you're trying to pull off a rebuild and, you know, you're trying to, like, go up against Ohio State like Rutgers did and, and catch some eyeballs and not only, you know, not get embarrassed, but pull off some fun trick plays, look competent, against against the Buckeyes. We've certainly seen them do worse over the years in those primetime uh, games against top of the Big Ten East. So I think it's a, you know, it's kind of a, a really best-case rebuild scenario for both Rutgers and MSU. Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, you could just see that Rutgers, they clearly have a plan. You know, they have direction, they have structure. Uh, the guys believe, you know, made good, uh, good hire at OC with, with Sean Gleason coming over from Oklahoma State. And you could just tell that, you know, even though they lack some talent in some areas, there's clearly a plan of what they want to do. They do have some guys that can make plays. They just need more of them now. And, you know, the, like you mentioned, the fact that they pulled out all the stops, they pulled every trick out that they had in their bag. You know, whether the offensive lineman scoring a touchdown, you're throwing a lateral on a punt return. I mean, they're trying their best just to go ahead and – uh, be as competitive as possible. And it shows that I feel like Shiano kind of, he just fits with that program. And you can kind of see why it didn't necessarily work at Ohio State. Um, I read an article um, in cleveland.com earlier this week, and it basically mentioned how when Shiano was the DC in 2018, when Ohio State really, really struggled, he kind of almost had like too much time on his hands as he was trying to just figure out what he could control and, try to put in these very complex schemes defensively and it just didn't quite work and guys weren't really playing fast. And now when you go back to Rutgers, you have control over everything and you can just tell he feels much, much more comfortable when he has his hands on everything and can control everything. Yeah, uh, definitely well said there. And and I agree from, you know, my untrained eye, but we love on the social media side, the Rutgers uh, trick plays, like, you know, even if they're going to lose, like they're making it really interesting. I think the fans are, are buying in at least uh, to see the spunk out of them. Um, all right, so speaking of Ohio State, I think since we last talked, we obviously knew they were going to be formidable. We did not know if the Indiana 
thing had staying power, right? Like, was this just a one week win over Penn State who has turned out to not be so great? Um, or is this going to be, you know, a, another big step forward for them throughout the full season? Turns out that's been exactly what has happened uh, under Tom Allen. 3-0, top 10 team, looking really, really solid and exciting. Really good vibes going on down there. Um, so right now, I mean, it, it pretty much looks like Ohio State, Indiana, and then we have a big question mark with Wisconsin, and then kind of everyone else. So correct me if I'm wrong there, but is that kind of how people should evaluate the top of the Big Ten? Yeah, I was curious to see who that number two team is. I feel like Ohio State's the clear number one right now. I should Maybe. say Northwestern, too. They've been They've been solid. Yeah, Northwestern, they got back in the top 25 this week. Felt like they should have been there a week a week earlier, but better late than never. Um, I do think it is a big gap between one and two. Maybe Indiana has something to say about that um, on the 21st when they play the Buckeyes. But um, that second-best team, I mean, they, they've all kind of had their issues. I know Wisconsin has mostly been off the field. And, you know, we only have one real game – you know, one data point for them. We saw Graham Mertz look great. The defense looks fine. Run game was a little shaky. Can that continue for them to be the second best team? Um, Northwestern, we see that defense is legit. You know, all three of those linebackers can make plays. The secondary is really, really good. But the last two weeks, I mean, they've been outgained. I mean, Nebraska outgained them by 125 yards. But again, the defense was able to bail them out. Can that offense continue to get better, look look closer to what they did in week one uh, in order for them to be the second best. And Indiana, for as good as they've been, for as good as Michael Penix has been, for as good as that secondary has been, they've had a lot of trouble running the ball. Um, that offensive line has not opened up the holes that we've used to see or we're used to seeing uh, with Stevie Scott, you know, kind of running through them and running over people. So there's still some issues there. Uh, honestly, I would kind of lean toward Northwestern right now if mm -hmm. I had to choose. Um, just because Wisconsin is such an unknown with COVID. And with Wisconsin, I guess we're fortunate that it wasn't a Wisconsin-Northwestern game that was canceled because that could get dicey, you know, if those teams uh, were to both be undefeated. But they, they still have yet to play. Um, Wisconsin looks to be back. You know, things can change. But we are midweek here on uh, heading into week four. And it looks like the game versus Michigan this weekend will happen. So kind of lay out some of the potential scenarios for me. We talked about how they couldn't afford to miss three games. That would disqualify them from Indianapolis uh, Big Ten West crown contention. And we got another team in Purdue is 2-0. They missed the, uh, their game last week against Wisconsin. So that is another potential speed bump going down, down the road if Purdue can continue to their winning ways. So what are some of the challenges you now foresee um, – with Wisconsin, not only getting back in the groove on the field because, yeah, Michigan's been struggling, but they took two weeks off and their players, as far as I can tell, were in hotels for a while, isolating, not really in the football swing of things. So what are some of the challenges you foresee both on the field and um, potentially, you know, with scheduling down the road? Yeah, I think for Wisconsin, the biggest issue right now is just what will Graham Merge do? I mean, he was obviously going to miss – uh, the previous two games, even if Wisconsin was able to play, because he kind of, I guess his announcement of him contracting COVID was kind of the the spreader for everything. Um, so you just kind of wonder how he is physically. Um, he is eligible to play this week, but will he play? That's still kind of a question. 
Um, you also would just wonder how many guys have been out practicing. Like I know they've done some conditioning stuff, but obviously that's not the same as, you know, putting the pads on and, and hitting people. And when you're basically off for as long as they've been, you just kind of wonder what they're going to be like physically going into a game like this against the Michigan team that, you know, is pretty, pretty hungry for a win, you know, kind of desperation mode for them at this point. So I, I'm really curious to see if Mertz plays and if he does, can he be nearly as effective as he looked in week one and, Will they be as physical as they normally are? You know, Wisconsin is a physical team on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and you just want there's just such an unknown right now with them in terms of you know how many guys up front had it. Um, you know, are they affected at all still? You know, it's just there's so many unknowns there. But let's say they're fine. Let's say Wisconsin they go ahead and they look like they did in Week One and they, they win in Ann Arbor on Saturday, and let's say they continue to win. And they're six and up. And Purdue continues to win. And they're seven and up. And they, the two didn't play each other. And you go by winning percentage. Well, neither one of them lost. Then what do you do? That's something I'm going to have to look into a little bit more. Um, let's, you know, kind of want to have it play out a little bit. But I think that could be a very, very dicey situation if you get six and up Wisconsin, seven and up Purdue. They don't play each other. How do you determine who goes? It's an interesting thought experiment, but, you know, these things do tend to work themselves out, even though this is an unprecedented year. We'll see. It'd be a interesting bridge to cross when we come to it. But speaking of Northwestern, uh, you know, they seem to be a, a known quantity. We know at this point that last year was an aberration, kind of a, just a wonky year. Now they seem to be back to kind of status quo or maybe even a little better under Pat Fitzgerald. And we know that because the Nebraska-Northwestern game was, was close again, like it always is. Uh, that series is wild. Um, so they got a – interesting game coming up this weekend, right? It's Purdue and Northwestern. So what are you looking for out of that one? Um, Purdue, obviously, 2-0, beating Iowa and Illinois. Uh, kind of sloppy against Illinois. They barely edged Illinois' fourth string QB. Iowa doesn't seem to be what they have been, uh, just with some questions at QB as well. So are you anticipating Purdue making this a, uh, an interesting one, or do you think Northwestern – We'll move to 4-0. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting game. And I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise that Purdue wound up missing last week because we're still waiting on Rondell Moore to make his 2020 debut. Uh, George Karloftis got hurt in the Illinois game. We don't know if he would have played last week or not, but they both get an extra week now. And I think just the matchup of David Bell, potentially Rondell Moore, and Aiden O'Connell going up against that very experienced, very good Northwestern secondary. Um, I think that might be the the matchup of, of two units to watch in the Big Ten this week. Luckily, we have that game on primetime, so uh, that'll be a nice watch. Uh, this Northwestern defense, I'm telling you, man, that back seven is legit. Those linebackers fly all over the place. They create a bunch of turnovers. So even when they're getting outplayed on offense, they still find ways to make plays to get the ball back or to prevent the other team from scoring. I mean, Nebraska should have won that game. Iowa should have won that game. And, you know, they wind up getting a couple picks, you know, deep deep when Nebraska's driving. They pick off Petrus three times the week before that. This Northwestern defense is legit. All right, sticking in the West, Minnesota's back on Friday night. Last Friday night did not go so well for them. Um, that's another – got to give a shout-out to Maryland. I mean, we <laughs> – we thought they were. Oh, yeah, we'll get to the Terps. 
Yeah, we thought they were way, uh, you know, in the rebuild bottom of the barrel as well. But they they got some real talent, and it looked like that first week game against Northwestern uh, is not indicative of what to expect from them after they've rattled off their last two wins. But um, let's stick in the West real quick. Iowa and Minnesota, a couple of one and two teams that, you know, going into the season we thought would be in contention for the West, still a long way to go. What are you uh, seeing out of this matchup, and who do you think has the edge? I, I mean, obviously, Minnesota's got the, the quarterback edge, but uh, the defenses looked a, a little leaky until they, they got the win last weekend. So I think it's interesting that uh, Fleck is, since Fleck's been there, he hadn't beaten Iowa. That's like the one thing he hasn't done. You know, he's won 10, 11 games. He's won bowl games. He got the ax. Um, you know, against Wisconsin, but he hadn't gotten Floyd. Floyd has stayed in Iowa City uh, the last five years. And, you know, they they were a team that beat Minnesota for the first time last year. You know, they were riding high going into Iowa City, and Iowa kind of knocked them down a peg, and that pretty much prevented them from going to the Big Ten championship game. So no animosity, uh, you know, no love lost, uh, a lot of animosity between these teams and these programs. Um, I think we should give some love to Muhammad Ibrahim, who has quietly, somehow quietly, run for 10 touchdowns already in three games and has had consecutive 200-yard games. Um, no other Big Ten player has more than four rushing touchdowns, and he has 10. So it's pretty crazy that he's doing this. And the fact that they were one and two, obviously it should be two and one when they blew the Maryland game. But uh, he's been a beast. And the fact that you know, he's replacing one of the best running backs in Minnesota history, Rodney Smith, and has been even better. Uh, just kind of goes to show that Fleck's done a heck of a job recruiting there, and he's got some guys. Yeah, I mean, you expect Morgan and Bateman to be carrying them, but it's like the, the Greg Jennings meme. Like, most putting the team on his back, though. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's been absolutely ridiculous in the stat sheet. Um, all right, so moving on to a couple of winless teams. Uh is this just like a reset year for Penn State? What's going on? Um, obviously, the, the first loss was very close against a good uh, Indiana team. Uh, 0-3 for the first time in forever. And then I believe they're facing Nebraska, uh, who is still searching for their first win. I know they had the opportunity against Wisconsin uh, taken, but uh, their fans are very hungry as well for, <laughs> for a first win. So what do you see out of this one, and what does it mean, even? Uh, what does it mean, I guess, on both sides, regardless of who pulls it out? Um, I feel like there's more pressure on Nebraska to win this game than Penn State. Uh, you know, Franklin has been there. He's won, you know, he's had several 10-1 seasons. They're coming off a New Year's Six win. <clears throat> and I know they were ranked higher to start the year, but, you know, if they don't happen to have a good year this year, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, Ohio State being Ohio State, once they started 0-2, I feel like that dream of winning the East was gone. Frost is still trying to build something in Nebraska. You know, he's he's the golden child there, you know, the chosen one who came back and he was going to be the one to lead them back to prominence. And, you know, we saw the Northwestern game. They're now three and ten in one possession games under him. So they get close, but for whatever reason, they can't really get over that hump. And it's surprising that the offense is the reason why they can't get over this hump. They keep getting, you know, a lot of you know, good yardage totals, but for whatever reason, those don't turn into points. Um, I think part of it is that quarterback, and I think that's the biggest issue in this game is that the quarterbacks for Nebraska and Sean Clifford for Penn State have really, really struggled this year. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Luke McCaffrey get the start for a struggling Adrian Martinez. And Clifford, I mean, he's been sacked a ton. He's thrown six picks. You know, he was 27 of 57 against Maryland. I was sacked seven times. I mean, he's really, really struggled. And it's not just him. I mean, it, both teams have a lot of issues. But I think if you're looking at reasons for the struggles for both of them, it's that quarterback. All right. Maryland has given Ohio State a headache before at that field, uh, Capital One Stadium. I feel like, you know, their talent is kind of like Ohio State light. You know, Watson's trying to get that level of athlete there. He's got some. Rakeem Jarrett is awesome. Uh, Talia is looking like a great story after, you know, really thought maybe he might. I mean, I don't know if he was ever going to get bench bench after week one, but that was a rough showing. And then he's kind of been the, the golden arm since then. Um, looks like a, a right-handed Tua. Uh, do you envision them being, you know, having a little, a little fight like Rutgers did? Uh, getting some of those athletes out in space against Ohio State, which whose defense has not looked, you know, all that impressive so far. What do you see out of this one? Do you think Ohio State uh, is going to roll? Yeah, I do want to see if Ohio State gets challenged early. That hasn't really happened so far. Um, even the Penn State game was only a 13-point game, but that game was – I mean, you could see in the first half they went up 14 nothing, and it was pretty much over. They never got challenged from there. Rutgers was the same thing. It was 35-3 at halftime. And, you know, even though Rutgers was able to score some points in the second half, they were never truly in danger. I just wonder if Maryland can wind up holding up defensively to stop this Justin Fields explosion, which seems to happen, you know, late first, early second quarter every week. And, you know, we'll, we'll get the Fields in a bit. But, I mean, I like what Maryland's doing. The fact that they've been able to rally, you know, after that really disappointing showing against Northwestern, um, like you said, the, the, the younger Tago Viol, Tago I'm not even going to try to say it. <laughs> I was going to try the Tungo part, Tungo Viola. Yeah, the Tungo yeah. Viola. Thank yeah. you. I uh, kept tripping over it. But yeah, he's been great the last two weeks. Um, and like you said, they got guys, you know, Rakeem Jerry, you got, you got to see why he was a five-star recruit. Um, you know, he, he's been exceptional. And the fact that they were able to drill Penn State like they did, you know, that's a series that was dominated. Uh, by Penn State, and they were outscored 163 to 6 the previous three meetings, and they go up and put up 35 in State College. And it, it goes to show that they've done a really good job, and I'll be curious to see if they could do that against Ohio State because the crazy thing is Ohio State's won 15 straight games by double digits against Big Ten teams. The last time they won by single digits, that game in College Park two years ago. They were very, very lucky to win that game. Dwayne Haskins they rally, they win in, in OT, and they haven't lost to a Big Ten team since. So we'll see if, if Maryland can wind up, you know, having an explosion to kind of keep up with the Buckeyes. Yeah, I was at the Friday night blackout game against Penn State uh, at Maryland last year, and that was kind of like their coming out party for Loxley. It was a big showcase game, you know, nationally televised FS1, and Maryland absolutely got punked, smoked on, you know, embarrassed. It was 59-0. If you'd have told me that a year later, not only do they, they, you know, make it close, but they beat Penn State pretty handily, it's just really impressive. So see them flip that script and uh, about and the social months. team is savage. Yes. I don't know if you've seen no, some of the stuff guys. they put out. I mean, they're, they're savage. Yeah, they I'm got a great cool. they got a great team over there. Uh, well, I mean, last time I was there was, uh, you know, got to meet a lot of them, and they they got a talented crew, and they're saying, you know, you were, we are. 
mm-hmm. Sad Valley, Sink the Boat. They got a lot of a lot of fire uh, content dropping over there. So big shout out. We've been giving them a shout out with uh, our Joshua Perry, Kenny Bell series as well. They've been they've been loving it. So um, keep doing what you're doing, Terp Social. Uh, and yeah, Justin Fields, like you said, has continues to be incredible, otherworldly. Uh, and you know, with those receivers he's got, they make it easy on him too. I mean, I, I it's it's hard to find words to describe the just sheer amount of talent and options he has. Um, you know, whether it's Olave or Wilson or Jigba, and then he's got the tight ends, and and it's uh it's pretty much an embarrassment of riches there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that he's accounted for thirteen touchdowns on the year and has eleven incompletions. This goes to show you how ridiculously accurate he's been uh, in the first half of games. I think he's got you know, six incompletions and six touchdown passes. Um, he's got probably the best receiving duo in college football with Gary Wilson and, and Chris Olave. Uh, both of those guys are on pace for a thousand yard seasons. Um, we haven't really seen Ohio State receivers as a duo do this. You know, we've seen, you know, during the urban era, you had a a Devin Smith for a year, uh, mostly just with big plays or like a Paris Campbell here and there. Uh, but you haven't seen guys just go out consistently and be a hundred yard a game threats or, you know, big touchdown threats down the field. You know, more often than not, you know, they will use their speed to kind of, you know, whether it's Paris Campbell on the jet, taking it around the corner or Devin Smith running fly routes. I mean, these guys are a complete package. They can run all of the routes. Um, great deep ball catchers as well. And I just – I don't remember seeing Ohio State having two guys like this at the same time, and Fields is certainly taking advantage of it. All right, Errol, before we uh, jump off real quick, basketball news has kind of been sticking with that slow drip. You know, this week we had the preseason teams released. Uh, it's weird to be this close to tip, though, without a schedule. I mean, sign of the times, but it, it kind of throws you off when – there's games two weeks, you know, around Thanksgiving, and we don't know who or what or, or when or how we can watch necessarily yet. So I'm, I'm really uh, on the edge of my seat here waiting for that drop. Yeah, same here. Uh, I mean, like you said, getting a little pieces here and there, you know, seeing that Michigan State is going to be playing Duke and Cameron for a Champions Classic with no fans. So that ought to be very, very weird. Um, we, we got the AP poll. At least that came out. So we got to kind of see – you know, where teams are, uh, the fact that Big Ten has seven, you know, so half the league is ranked just goes to show you how deep this league is supposed to be. First time we've ever had seven in the preseason, uh, AP top 25. I see your guys in the top 10. Uh, I know it's been a long time for that. Um, long time. Iowa's just the, just the highest they've ever been ranked in a preseason poll, you know, coming in at number five. Uh, you know, Rutgers, and I think it's been 40 years since they've been uh, ranked in the preseason polls, so you know it, it's be it should be a a pretty pretty good league. Um, you know we've talked about that before, and we got some big matchups. I know you guys are playing Baylor. You know we've got I think I was playing the Zags. You know we we've got uh, ACC Big Ten stuff. You know playing Virginia, so it should it should be a lot of fun. Yep, starting to feel real. The rankings make it feel a little more real, and. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get these times and dates confirmed, we'll uh, break down some of the early matchups on top of football. But is H, Illinois at Duke? At Duke, 
you know, come on, K wasn't coming to, to Champagne. You kidding me? We're both at Duke with no fans. If we're if we're gonna play Duke, I'd rather do it with no fans. I know. I, I don't know what it is. Like they can't that uh they somehow wrangle the challenge and the Champions Classic. But like you said, <laughs> no Cameron crazies. Who, who cares? Right. All right, H. Appreciate you uh, giving some time. We will check back in as soon as the next podcast drops. You know, it's every week, every other week, we'll see. But uh, once again, appreciate it, and we'll chat soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks. All right, thanks once again to Harold, Mike, Vito, making this a really great triple header podcast. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the schedule. Got a lot going on, but I try to get these podcasts out as often as possible every week or so, sometimes every other week. So when we do get the podcast dropped on the air, I want to have as much content for you as possible and pack in a lot of interesting stuff. So hopefully you made it to the end. Um, if you're listening at all, we really appreciate it. Appreciate people for sticking with us if you are a recurring listener. And if it's your first time, be sure to subscribe rate and review the podcast wherever podcasts can be found you know we're on google play we are on spotify of course apple podbean and we are also on youtube all these videos all these interviews are in video form on youtube there is a big 10 network youtube channel which you should be subscribed to if you're not already and there is a playlist for the take 10 podcast where you can find every interview and since the onset of the pandemic, when we started going to these Zoom interviews, you can see every interview, my face, sorry, and everybody, uh, all, all my guest faces as well, which uh, is intriguing, especially, you know, you can see them grimace or cringe at, at my stupid questions, but uh, it's a good time. It's a good watch. So if you're sitting at your work from home desk, you know, open up a tab for YouTube and watch the interviews on there. Uh, I promise you won't regret it. All right. Thanks, as always, uh, as we're wrapping up here to, once again, everyone for listening. Thank you to Julie Bronder. She produces the show week in and week out. And go check out On the Bench if you have not already. Mike Hall, a lot of good stuff coming there. So until the next time, we will talk to you soon here on Take Them Podcast.